0: Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3, and go ahead and put your bookmark there because we're going to be in Ephesians throughout the rest of this year. Ephesians chapter 3. As we come to this study together, I am reminded of what has become known as uh, America's, uh, the lady who has become known as America's greatest miser. Have you heard of Hetty Green? Many of you haven't. She passed away in 1916, is considered still to this day to be one of the greatest misers that the United States has ever known. But she passed away in 1916, She left an estate valued at $100 million. She was so cheap, it is said, that she would eat cold oatmeal to save on the expense of heating the water. Now, some of you right now are thinking about someone that is just as cheap. And stop that. Don't do that in here. You're you're poking somebody right now. $100 million she left behind and yet would not heat her own water for the expense that it would cost to make her oatmeal. It gets worse when her son had a severe leg injury. She took so long trying to find a free or inexpensive clinic to treat him that his leg had to be amputated because of the advanced infection. And it's even said that she hastened her own death uh, by bringing on a fit of apoplexy while arguing the merits of skim milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. Now I know we read that, and you say, there's got to be a joke there. There's got to be a punchline somewhere. But the fact is, believers have been given such a wealth and treasure that we will discover in Ephesians, and yet so many of us die malnourished. So many of us live lives of weakness and Inability when there lies at our disposal power that God has given us. And as we study the book of Ephesians, we're going to dive deep into those treasures. We're going we're to dive deep into that wealth. And it is my prayer that as we study the book of Ephesians together, that you not be malnourished, that you not be. Satisfied with just a a little milk here from the Word or just a a little drop of nourishment here from the Bible each and every week, but that you would dive deep into the treasure that God has given us and that you would be prepared. And again, I repeat this over and over again if ever there was a time that our world needed to see the church prepared, to see our church, to see First Baptist Church of West Memphis. Rich in the things of God, right now is the time. Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse 20. This is our theme verse for the year. Ephesians three, beginning in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I do not have the ability in and of myself to show your people any of the treasure that I have discovered. Lord, I just pray right now your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Father, that you would draw us closer to you during this time. Pray you'd save the lost, pray you'd encourage the found. Jesus, for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The book of Ephesians is one of those wonderful books, six chapters, it was written by the apostle Paul. And when Paul is writing this letter, the Holy Spirit is pinning the letter through him. This is not just Paul's letter, this is God's letter to us, but he's writing it to the church at Ephesus with whom he had had just a a joyful and fruit-filled ministry just a decade prior. He is writing this from a jail cell, and I wish that God's people would be so intentional as Paul was. Paul's in a jail cell, and he is reflecting back on this great ministry that he had had in Ephesus. On his second missionary journey, on his way back home, Paul passes through Ephesus, and he recognizes that God has something Special with regards to him there. But he is on a timetable, and God has him directed to go on home. And so he stops briefly and he tells them that he will return if the Lord permits. He goes on home, and when he begins his third missionary journey, Paul will spend two and a half to three years in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city in Asia Minor. It is a wealthy city, and Paul will make his way... there immediately on third missionary journey and God will do something miraculous in his ministry in Acts chapter 19 we read of just some of these great miracles that are performed for example the spirit of God is resting so heavily upon Paul it is resting so, he is resting so heavily on him that if people put their handkerchief on Paul's skin or their apron on Paul's skin and then they take it back to their family member or friend who is sick and dying and they lay, lay it on them, they are healed. It is, he, he, God does such a great work through Paul that if that apron touches his hand and then touches a person who is possessed by a demon, the demon leaves the human. It's amazing. This ministry that we read about in Acts chapter 19 is miraculous. God does a great work in Ephesus. It's here in Acts chapter 19, immediately after uh, this act, that we learn of the sons of Sceva. Now, I know many of you Bible scholars uh, remember that story, but for those of you who who, uh, don't remember that story, Paul is doing great works. He is uh, expelling demons. He's exercising demons from those who are possessed, and there are these people who are not believers who come along. They're the sons of Skeva, and they want to get in on the business and on the on the adulation, and so they begin to go out to demon-possessed people, and they are going to exercise those demons, and they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we exhort you to leave this this child, to leave this person And you will recall that the demons called back to them, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? And they jump on them and overpower all those men and attack them. And because of that event, Ephesus will come into great fear. And those who had practiced witchcraft are going to come repenting and burning their spell books, burning all of their previous religion's uh, writings, they want to get rid of them. They're repenting. God is doing such a great work there that it begins to affect their main business, which is idol making. God does such a great work there that people stop buying idols, and this does not leave the idol makers very happy. Their business has. Uh, uh, has gone away and they are very upset and there's a riot that breaks out in Ephesus. and i mentioned this morning man i pray that god would do such a great work in west memphis such a great work in marion and in crittenden county that that, that people are saved and lives are changed and listen here Southland has to close down i know some of you said oh don't say that to me but listen my prayer is that god would do such a great work that that all the places that are that are uh, uh encouraging debauchery all of the places that make their profit off of stealing from others that they their business would go away because god's people had had seen such a great work that's the prayer is that god god do it again in west memphis God, do it again in Marion and in Crittenden County. And Paul pulls in this jail cell. He's being persecuted for the cause of Christ. He remembers back that ministry. And by the Holy Spirit, he pins this letter to them and to us so that we might know three very important things. Number one, I'm going to give you these three points first, and then we'll walk through them together. Number one, through the book of Ephesians God wants you to know your place in Christ your place in Christ number 2 he wants you to know your pace in this world and number 3 your face toward the enemy your place in Christ your pace in this world and your face toward the enemy I think it's very important that I begin this service by saying that the book of Ephesians at the very beginning makes it very clear that this is written to believers. Now, non-believers can, can hear what I say in Ephesians and can, and can see the worth of Jesus and repent and believe. But you see, the promises that are made here in Ephesians are to those who have been born again. And as born-again believers, you can have some assurance and this life, you have great blessing and great treasure that we can discover in the book of Ephesians. Number one, I said just earlier, the book of Ephesians is written so that you might know your place in Christ. If you have your Bibles, move over with me to Ephesians chapter two, in verses four through six. Chapter two, verses four through six. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm feeling spunky. So let's go back to verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a glorious, wonderful thought. Our, we, God wants us to know right off the bat, as a matter of fact, chapters one through three is doctrinal, and they push home this point, that our location, our place as born-again believers is in Christ. It is in Christ. Think about that we are wicked evil people our hearts are desperately wicked we have sin in our lives and though we were dead in our trespasses though we were children of wrath god because of his great love made us alive with him and placed us in his son jesus as believers we have a great promise It's not a great thing to look forward to, even though we can look forward to being really in his presence. But right now, if you have repented of your sins and called upon the name of Jesus as Lord, God has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light. He has taken you from being children of wrath and he has placed you in his son has placed you there. When you think that you don't have value, when you think that you don't have worth, when you feel as if you can't possibly measure up and that being a Christian is too hard and following God's commands are too difficult, you remember this. You are already in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, begins, it really begins the book with saying this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Him. In Him. How wonderful. Over 15 times, Paul will state this in the book of Ephesians that we are in Christ. We are in Him. To know that we are in Christ, we are not in the world. We are here on mission to love and to care and to share, but our position is already in Christ. We are, we're already in him. Jesus will make the same wonderful promise and statement in John chapter 15 in verses one through five when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In verse three of John chapter 15, Jesus says, already you are clean because of this word that I've spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see the, the trend here. God has taken us and he has placed us in his son, Jesus. That is, when God looks at us, who does he see first? Jesus. Believers, there's a great, great promise here because God is sanctifying you. It's not sufficient that you be in your image or that, you be, that I be in my image, but that we be transformed into the image of Jesus. And God has taken us and placed us in his son, Jesus. And so it is our privilege to recognize that and to live that. Not only are we in him, but here the scripture says that we are seated in him, seated with him. He has seated us in him. In the book, Sit, Walk, Stand, by the uh, theologian Watchman Knee, he says, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done, Jesus has already accomplished for you everything that you need. Amen, church? Jesus has already, you know what? I know you're, maybe you're frustrated at someone this week. Maybe you're frustrated at the news. Maybe you're frustrated at things that are going on in this world. And you say, I just don't have, Josh, I don't have it within me to, to have that peace. I don't have it within me to hold my temper I don't have it within me to treat this person whether uh, uh, good when I when I want to treat them bad. You just remember this. Yes, you do because you are in Him. You don't have that ability, really. He does. Allow Him to work through you. Now, when you're sitting down, what kind of work are you doing? Not. Not a lot, okay, you're resting. Right now, you're all sitting on the pew. You're resting, you have faith that that, that, that pew is going to hold you up, that your seat is going to hold you up. It's, it's resting, and in the same way, the scripture is constantly telling us that before we can work for the Lord, we must first rest in him. If you recall all the way back in the book of Genesis, that's precisely the order of events. God creates the entire earth in six days and rest on the seventh and on that sixth day he creates man now i want you to notice god worked six days he rested on the seventh adam's first real day was the seventh day adam's first day really was in rest you see god works before he rests but before man can work for the lord he must first rest in the lord the command given to us here today the promise given to us is that we have been place in Christ. We are in Him. And as we look at Him and uh, and us being in Him, we should adjust our pace. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Not only does Paul call us to recognize our place in Christ? But he, he beckons us to know our pace in this world. Once you've learned to sit in his presence and gaze upon Jesus, and by the way, let me just go back to that first point one more time because I can't do it enough justice. You cannot walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which God has called you if you have not learned to sit in his presence. If you've not learned to gaze upon Jesus, if you've not learned to value him and love him through his word and in prayer, you will never be able to allow him to work that out in your life outward. You know... I would, you, would, you would expect someone who's experienced such salvation and placement to look differently in this world, wouldn't you? We just talked about being seated with Christ, gone from death to life. Wouldn't you expect that person to look differently? And yet, all around America, and unfortunately all around the world, people who claim to be followers of Jesus have trouble distinguishing themselves from everyone else. I don't know if that's more troubling or that everyone else have trouble distinguishing them from Christians or from the world. But you see, God has changed us and there must be a discernible difference. If you have been saved or if you've made a profession of faith and you claim to have known Jesus and you still walk the same way that you did before, you need to ask some questions. Because if the God of the universe has said that he has entered you and changed you, then surely you should look different or he has no power whatsoever. And when it was unworthy to give your life to, we should recognize your place in Christ and adjust your pace in this world. Paul says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the high calling of Jesus. You know, it it reminds me of Jesus, in John chapter five, and Jesus is walking into the temple complex and he comes across a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's been laying on his mat, unable to walk. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He pretty much says, hey, uh, are you tired of laying on that mat? I mean, can you imagine the looks that I would get if I told someone who was in a wheelchair, are you tired of sitting in that wheelchair? It'd be despicable. It'd be horrible. And yet Jesus has this power. He has this intention. And he looks to the man and he says to the man, stand up. Or he says, he t- tells him that he is healed. He says, take up your bed and, what does he say? Lay down. Right? No, no, no. Take up your bed and lay down. It is inconceivable to us. Think about it. He's been on that mat 30 Eight years and every morning I bet you he imagined what it might be like to walk what it would be like to not be laying on that mat Oh, to be able to get up and work imagine every afternoon as he saw people walking across with bread and, and, and begged them for bread or for money for Food. I imagine he wondered what it might be like to stand up and walk over to a table and purchase some bread for him to eat. And at an evening, I wonder if he thought what life might have been like had tragedy not been so, had life not been so cruel to him. I wonder, he thought, I wonder if I, if I could be standing over my child's bed him in a minute. And so when Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk, he took up his bed, he walked. He'd been thinking about, he'd been imagining what it would be like. And all of a sudden, Jesus made it possible. Then why in the world do Christians like the feel of that stinking mat Why in the world are Christians content with Jesus saying, take up your bed and just lay there? I don't want to walk, Jesus. I got a better relationship with my bed than I do with you. I would much rather lay down and hear in my works, in my filth, and the things that this world can provide than to walk with you. It makes no sense because when you are healed, when you have been paralyzed and God has healed you, you get up and walk. Walk. And so many people who claim to be Christians, they keep holding on to that pillow. They keep holding on to that mat. And it makes you wonder if they've really been healed. If you've been healed, you'd get up and walk. And here, Paul is saying, walk in a manner worthy. Jesus has saved you. Your life should look different. Jesus would tell the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Your life should look different. Your finances should look different, right? The way you steward, not just to the church, but to gospel ministry, supporting missionaries, supporting the advance of the gospel, that should look different. What you you take into your heart via reading or on social media or online or on TV, that should look different. The way you treat people ought to look different. Here, Paul is saying, because you have been positioned in Christ, your walk should look different. Ephesians 2 8 through 10 tells us of this grace that has happened in our life. In verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And then he says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus has healed you of your sin so that you might walk. Do you hear me? God didn't save you to be a pew sitter. God didn't save you just to have good theology. God saved you so that you might walk. So that you might live for him. It's interwoven throughout scripture, this idea that faith produces works. And when I say that word works, I even kind of use it loosely. Because in Galatians chapter five, when comparing the works of the flesh those things that we work for in this life. Paul doesn't say, but the works of the spirit. What does it say? But the fruit of the spirit. You see, because we are positioned in Christ, we allow him to do his work through us. You say, Josh, I can't love that person. You're right, Jesus can. You say, Josh, I'm struggling with my road rage. Hey, listen, you hear from this pulpit all the time, I hit every red light ever. Every train has my car on their GPS and they wait for me to get a block from the train track and they go two miles per hour. Josh Hall doesn't have it within himself to control his anger. But you know who does? Jesus, and I live in him. Josh doesn't have it in himself to, to do all these things that God wants us to do, but I know who does, and if I sit in his presence, I allow him to work through me. I can't tell people, I can't preach to you. I mean, all of you in here are 10 times smarter than me. I was asking Sarah this last week, I said, you know, I'm preparing an illustration for a sermon that's actually two or three weeks from now, and I said, you know, people saw Brother Ryan, and he was smart, and they said, you know, there is a a really academic, smart man. I said, Sarah, do you think that people would ever say that about me? And she said, Josh, I don't think you're going to have to worry about that problem with you. Now, it's just, it's just, no, she wasn't calling me stupid at that time. But anyways, uh, uh, what God does is he works through us. I don't have the ability. He does. And he can work through you. The key to living the Christian life and walking with him Is not in trying, but in trust. Trust Him. Thirdly, you've seen your place in Christ. You've seen your place in this world. Ephesians is written lastly, so that you might know your face toward the enemy. Your face toward the enemy. We live in a very difficult time. We live in times where we don't know what's going to happen the next day, what the next demand's going to be, what the next. I mean, we don't know what the, what the information is. Right now, a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are worried and anxious. And yet we as God's people are commanded to be different. And so Paul ends this book in chapter 6 with showing us our face toward the enemy. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His first command here to us is to not shy away from battle, but to be strong. strong god would command that's very same god who wrote this through paul would command joshua be strong and very courageous christians should not be defined by the things they shy away from but should be defined by a strength that is inexplicable to the world a strength a strength that must only come from the lord paul says in verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here we're giving our face toward the enemy. Confident, strong, and what does he say? Stand. Stand. We were told that we have been seated with him, so we need to learn to sit. We were told next to walk in a manner worthy and so we must walk. And now he has told us to stand, stand firm. Here, the word stand means for us to hold our ground. And if ever there was a time that the world needed the church to hold their ground, it is now not to hold ground on traditions and not to hold ground on cultural items, but to stand firm on the word of the Lord. To take a stand for what is right, to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not fighting a losing battle. It's not as if we're on borrowed land. The land that we are on is a position that is already held by Jesus. We are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I mentioned it earlier but the devil is very real satan is very real he's seeking to devour you there's never a day that goes by there's never a moment where he's not seeking out to destroy you and so it is up to the believer to suit up and to let the battle be on If I'm gonna fight a battle, Lord, I pray that I'm the fiercest warrior there is out there. Lord, I pray that when I wake up in the morning and my feet hit the ground, the devil knows that that the soldier is ready for the battle, that the soldier is ready to stand firm. We were made to be warriors, not against flesh and blood. Verse 12 of Ephesians chapter six says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Here, we know that we're not, to be, we're not to be social media bullies, social media warriors. We're not to be unkind. Our problem is not in Washington. Our problem is not in any mayor's seat. Our problem is not in politics or in the governments of this world. Our issues... We are are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. At this very time, the enemy is plotting and is warring, and we as God's people must be suited up and ready to stand confidently against the enemy. Let me ask you a question. Are you standing? Are you standing firm? Have you put on... the the armor that is mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go over that in in several weeks. But listen, you cannot fight unless you learn to walk. And friends, you can't walk unless you learn to sit. Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Are you resting in what he's already accomplished for you? Are you allowing him to live and to produce those good works through you? Or are you still trying? The book of Ephesians is written so that you might trust that you are in Christ. But Perhaps there's someone here today, someone watching online, who's not yet given their life to Jesus, who's not yet been changed by the life of Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection. I would like to invite you to give your life to Jesus to recognize that God has sent his only son Jesus to come and live a perfect life and to take upon his shoulders the sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this world if they will repent and believe. And that same Jesus who died on the cross for our sins rose again on the third day and stands right now before the Father ready to give life to anyone who would repent and believe. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I please encourage you to give your life to Jesus? Speak to me or another counselor. Maybe you're here, and you need to make another decision. You say, Josh, I've not been sitting. I've not been keeping my eyes on Jesus. I've not been walking. I've not been standing firm. And come speak to me or another counselor. Let us pray with you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to make any number of decisions. Can I encourage you during this time of response to be faithful to do what God has laid upon your heart? Would you pray with me, please? Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.